Welcome to Adventures in Consciousness with your host, Dr. Carl Simononic. Hello, this is Episode 3, Major Structures of the Human Nervous System. It's going to be necessary to get down a bit into the weeds of scientific jargon in this episode, where there are a lot of names for things that don't have more common language equivalents. This episode could be especially useful to you when you start looking at brain photos and diagrams and perhaps Google searching specific structures mentioned. The largest and most prominent structure of the human brain is called the cerebral cortex. If your brain was a large mushroom, the cerebral cortex would be the cap of the mushroom and it is composed of several distinct areas called lobes. They are paired structures in two hemispheres divided front to back with large frontal lobes in the front. Behind that, from about the top center and most of the way back, are the parietal lobes. And in the very back of the brain are the occipital lobes. Along both lower sides of each hemisphere are the brain's temporal lobes. Each of these lobes is specialized for certain functions, and we'll talk about some of them later, particularly how vision is processed through the brain. The cerebral cortex in human brains is significantly larger than the cortex of most other mammals, with only a few exceptions like dolphins and whales. There was a time when many scientists weren't sure or didn't believe that animals were even capable of experiencing consciousness, and the relatively large proportion of cortex in human brains was one of the things that led some of them to think that cortex was where consciousness was manifested and that only humans could be considered conscious creatures. That chauvinistic viewpoint is long gone now, and most people who've ever owned a pet or had other significant experience with animals understands that they're fully conscious creatures too, even if they don't fully equal every human capability that our larger cerebral cortexes enable in us. Unfortunately, it is scientifically impossible to prove the presence of subjective experience in anyone but one's own self, and we'll entertain some discussion on that philosophical topic in future episodes. But for now, we'll go on to talk about the major structures of the human brain below the cerebral cortex. Beneath the lobes of the cerebral cortex is the stem of the mushroom, which is simply enough called the brain stem. The brain stem is composed of a number of specialized areas called brain nuclei, which are groups of neurons that all work together to perform specific functions. Most brain nuclei are paired structures like the lobes of the cortex, but a few are unpaired, like the pineal organ and the pituitary gland. Either way, they are usually referred to in the singular, so you may hear someone generically talking about the parietal lobe or the frontal lobe when they really mean the pairs of each in both hemispheres. The brain stem as a whole you may sometimes hear referred to as the lizard brain because it originated so long ago in evolution. However, in this and future episodes, we'll be discussing one of the most important pairs of brain nuclei called the thalamus, which is located at the top of the brain stem at the very center of the brain. The thalamus is also a paired structure about the size of two smallish walnuts. 
It's surrounded by and interacts with other brainstem nuclei, like the caudate nucleus, putamen, and others that we don't need to go into great detail about now. The old-fashioned way of thinking about the thalamus was as a kind of relay station that did little more than pass signals through to the cerebral cortex, where consciousness was believed to occur. Apparently, the reason people thought that was because every incoming sensory signal except your sense of smell first enters your thalamus before getting distributed to different areas of cortex. Failing to recognize that conscious experience is about integrating all signals into consciousness and where most sensory neural signals come physically closest together is the thalamus. Today we know that the idea of consciousness occurring in cortex was wrong, and we'll examine how the thalamus really works in the next episode, Episode 4, Pathways and Organization of the Brain. Closely associated with and surrounding much of the brain stem underneath the cortex are fluid-filled spaces called the cerebral ventricles, which all together have a fluid volume of about 150 milliliters. There are two large lateral ventricles surrounding the brainstem, an unpaired third ventricle lying between the two halves of the thalamus, and another unpaired fourth ventricle below the third ventricle that is associated with the cerebellum. Cerebral spinal fluid filling the ventricles is also continuous with a narrow passageway down the spinal cord called the central canal. All these fluid-filled spaces are lined with beating cilia, which look like microscopic little hairs, all moving in rhythmic patterns. These ventricular cilia are highly important in nexus theory and are further described below because much of the functioning of the so-called neural wetware of the brain is devoted to conducting biophotons with precise timing to these cilia, which aim their biophotons across the ventricular spaces towards specific target areas on their opposing ventricular walls and toward intersection points within the ventricular spaces where they can interact with other biophotons, thus forming and sustaining the nexus. Underneath the cortex at the back of the brain and behind the brainstem is the cerebellum, a large section of brain that is specialized for the learning and using of unconscious motor skills. It's the part of your brain, for example, that learns and then knows how to ride a bicycle without you having to think about it, like you did when you were first learning. The cerebellum also helps maintain posture, balance, and equilibrium. In front of the cerebellum, on the front side of the fourth ventricle, are lower brainstem nuclei, the major ones being called the pons and medulla, which control a lot of important automatic and sometimes involuntary functions of the body, like eye movement, breathing, sleep, swallowing, bladder control, sneezing, and gagging. For completeness, I want to mention that the human nervous system also includes peripheral nerves involved in sensation and muscular control, as well as a two-part autonomic nervous system composed of a sympathetic branch that is generally stimulatory and a parasympathetic branch that is usually inhibitory, though there are some exceptions. 
The sympathetic and parasympathetic branches of the autonomic nervous system are primarily for the unconscious control of things like heart rate and respiration, where the sympathetic stimulatory side is responsible for things like our fight-or-flight responses, which can quickly prepare our bodies for strenuous physical activity, and the parasympathetic inhibitory side of the autonomic nervous system is responsible for regulating things like rest and digest functions. Then there are two networks of neural tissues embedded in our gut walls, which communicate with our brains through the autonomic system of sympathetic and parasympathetic fibers, and they use the same neurotransmitters as are found in our brains. But the peripheral, autonomic, and gut neural systems are not immediately important to the understanding of nexus theory and are therefore not discussed further in these first 10 Adventures in Consciousness podcast episodes. In the next episode, episode 4, we'll discuss pathways and organization of the brain. Thank you for tuning in to Adventures in Consciousness. This is your host, Carl Simononic, signing out. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't already, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Adventures in Consciousness.